It's a Cartoon Revolution. I'm Deidre. And I'm Sonia. Why Cartoon Revolution? Because the cartoons we love aren't just for kids anymore. Cartoons have something to say and change to inspire, and we're here to break it down for you. Whether it's anime or Pixar, 2D or CG. Join us as we take cartoons too seriously and discover their hidden meanings and revolutionary ideas. Hello, hello, hello. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everyone. How are you doing? They can't talk back, dummy. I know. (laughs) I know. In my heart, I just want to hear people actually like be in their car and just say like, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking podcast hosts. (laughs) (laughs) Send us voice memos. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey, everyone. We are recording this episode that I think you guys are gonna like and it should be coming out around Earth Month. I mean which should which I believe is quite suitable. (laughs) Suitable Yeah, Yeah, relevant. (laughs) Relevant. That's that's the word. Yeah. Our episode is relevant to Earth Month, which kind of brings us to the topic of today, which is going to be Legend of Korra, the beginnings episodes one and two. Oh yeah. Avatar one episodes. Yeah, season. So that's season two of Legend of Korra. And this is going to be like the creation story of this series and the origin of the Avatar in general. And so these episodes kind of like stand apart from everything else in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It really ties both series together avatar the last airman and legend of korra yeah and, exactly yeah relates to a lot of themes in the shows yeah so before we fully go in i just want to ask you sonia because season two has met been met with a lot of controversy when it first came out yeah all those years ago mm-hmm. and they also because korra was originally supposed to be a single series which was that right. first Mm-hmm. season then in season two they expanded and i they introduced quite a few characters do you have a favorite which of the new characters that they introduced Ooh, that's a good question i do really like unalak as a villain i think he's just so evil and and cunning and i love villains who are like that but probably eska and desna i think they're just so fun and, and yes you know, <laughs> weird but also in a very lovable way and i love how they're just super down to literally kill Korra like their cousin (laughs) but then they just switch sides (laughs) kind of at the end with very little like persuasion so I love how they're just like around and like just kind of doing whatever yeah I mean it's such an Aubrey Plaza yeah would kill that role yeah yeah exactly I have no idea who the other person (laughs) who the other voice actor is because I'm just (laughs) the whole time I was like it's Aubrey Plaza (laughs) yes of course so overshadowed (laughs) yeah what about you yeah I like Kaya I just I like the idea of like a single older fun auntie yeah we love that yeah that that's just like there to to have a good time and like she's not the wet blanket yeah yeah exactly exactly. okay let's get into (laughs) it because i think there's a lot to talk about season two in general Mm -hmm. beyond just these beginnings episodes but so let's sonia do you think you could uh give us a really quick rundown of (gasps) i'm so glad you asked Yes. (laughs) So Legend of Korra is 
basically the sequel series to the famous Avatar The Last Airbender, which is the show that both of us watched growing up or and well into adulthood as well. I think we can both safely say that it's one of our favorite shows of all time and certainly a huge inspiration for this podcast as a cartoon that, you know, has a lot of serious themes and complex elements to it that can teach us a lot about the world and all of these complex issues and values that it talks about. But Legend of Korra follows the next avatar in this cycle. Korra is kind of like the headstrong, fiery fighter that kind of contrasts a little bit with Aang's more pacifist, like cerebral and silly nature. As you mentioned, it started out season one as an isolated season, and then the creators were granted a renewal and three following seasons came out. And each one is kind of isolated with a specific new villain, which is very different from Avatar The Last Airbender. But this season in particular follows kind of Korra's spiritual growth as a character as a lot of the complex relationships between the human world and the spirit world that we kind of touched on a little bit in the first show. So it was definitely a bit more of a controversial season, mainly because the creators had had to kind of restart a little bit with the show, given that the first season was very kind of isolated and seemed to like wrap everything up cleanly. So this is definitely a very bold, very different season and one that I think tonally a lot of audiences struggled with a little bit. But I have my thoughts on on the season that we can talk about more. But yeah, I think that's good. In the context of season two, that's when we get the beginnings episodes. Yes. So Korra essentially loses her memory. She winds up at this island and the fire sages are trying to save Save her and by doing so they need to reconnect her connection with the avatars and she then learns about the origins of the avatars like as she's like connecting in this pool of spiritual energy water and yeah we learn about avatar one the first avatar his relationship with the spirit wilds and also like we learn more about humanity and lion turtles and the inevitable struggle between the two i guess like deities Vatu and Rava, Rava and Vatu, like good and bad personified. Was it good and evil personified? (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think good and evil, but also chaos. Yeah, we'll like, we'll talk about it more because it's, I think there are different layers to how we can look at this portrayal and also in the context of where the creator's inspirations came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is, these two are very important episodes. So Legend of Korra has aged up and the avatar herself is aged up. And also we see the society move towards a more mechanized, industrialized. Kind of like Roaring Twenties, I think was the inspiration. Yeah, yeah. And it moved, I think for a lot of people, kind of moved quite quickly. But at the core, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of influences from Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism. But in general, there's like a whole mix of Eastern spiritual elements. And yeah, I want to just pull that to the beginnings episodes. So I think the most obvious kind of like inspiration for this is the avatar itself and how the avatar is both embodying this concept of the circle reincarnation reincarnation life and death and like how life is itself a wheel Mm -hmm. which is like part of hinduism or at least like that yeah it comes from the the creators yeah exactly and buddhism as the avatar also draws from buddhist ideas it might be more specific but when i was thinking of it was the bodhisattvas and Mm -hmm. how bodhisattvas are this is a very very simple (laughs) definition (laughs) but they are people who have 
achieved enlightenment or are very close to achieving enlightenment and then decide before they actually cross the threshold of completely releasing themselves from material desires that they will help other people to reach that ah, level yeah. before they that comparison. yeah yeah before they actually go themselves so so it's kind of not... like the scene where where ang is supposed to like complete his final chakra and like give up on katara in the yeah. original yeah and and the thing with both ang and Korra is that neither of them can fully actually decouple themselves from the material world and desires because that their job is as a bridge right which is what the bodhisattvas are also mm. you know that's so supposed to do again i'm not an expert this is just from my <laughs> from my experiences and learnings from before so yeah there's there's those elements there and i think it's interesting too because sometimes it feels like there's not always a great conversation between avatar the last airbender and legend of korra without it becoming this one's better than the other and how do you I feel about I, that yeah i definitely about? want to speak to that a bit because my answer to that conversation is always that they're very different shows Yes, they're set in the same world. And yes, they have the same kind of adventure slash character driven and values driven storyline. But they are targeting very different audiences in terms of age. They were made in, under very different structures in the sense that Legend of Korra is kind of four isolated seasons rather than three overarching seasons telling one singular story. And they're also tackling very complex issues. And when I say this, it's not to say that Avatar The Last Airbender wasn't complex because it was. A lot of people will say that and say things like, you know, it dealt with literal genocide of airbenders. It dealt with imperialism and things like that. And all of that is true. But Legend of Korra definitely was more complex in terms of its choice of villains and the way that they act in the world. For example, in Avatar The Last Airbender, it was a very clear... Fire Nation, very clearly inspired by the Japanese military historically in World War II. And a lot of the characters in the Fire Nation had a lot of complexity, but overall the enemy was pretty clear. But Legend of Korra, I felt, dealt with a more complex villainy and also forced the Avatar, namely Korra, to question a lot more her decisions and her place in the world, more so than Aang had to. So... Yeah, my understanding is just that it's just they're very different shows in very different ways and they're both really good in their own ways. So, yeah, I overall yeah. I love Legend of Korra and I will advocate for it, you know, in any debate, but I also understand that it's not perfect. So, nuance. no, I I think Korra had a lot of things that were going to upset the internet anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it had character issues, it had romance issues. Yeah. World building issues, every part, but like so did Avatar, The Last Airbender in a lot of ways. It was more simple of a story. It was better, but both are still great. Yeah, I, th I think so the spirits, if we look at season two in particular, because Korra, I think, has some of the best villains. Like, yes, Azula is amazing, but like the villains, I think there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of interesting development in these villains that make them not black or white. And you honestly, sim I don't know, it, when I look back at it as right. an adult, I'm just like, it's not clear. Like, 
like I kind of I can understand why Korra would be so confused like she got beat down so hard and these villains had a point a lot of the times mm-hmm. and she actually had to weigh her options and be like is this the way or is this not the way and I think Unalak is an interesting one because he's really advocating for the spirits and the material world to be like not so divided and that's not necessarily a bad thing as Korra. I really like that because you're right this was a rare instance in which Korra sided with a villain in one way. Obviously she didn't agree with most of his visions of the world but I just that's something that you don't really see Aang have to deal with as much like is the villain right about some things because the Fire Nation was so clearly wrong. What about the spirits? I mean how do you feel Mm -hmm. about their role? Like let's move back towards beginnings right if we're going to focus on beginnings in particular because it's there's so many spirits that are introduced there and the relationship with the humans is also explored more what were your gut reactions about these two episodes yeah i mean i loved beginnings and the avatar one origin story i thought it was so beautifully animated i thought the return to the spirit world through a different lens was really interesting and liked the portrayal of the avatar as a fundamentally fallible human being who was a thief who was banished from his hometown. I thought it was really nice to see a very spiritual transcendental being starting out as a human who made a mistake. And I really appreciated that aspect or I guess the humanity that it brought to the avatar as a being because the avatar is actually not supposed to be some like separate spiritual being. As we said, it's actually supposed to be one of the most human beings of all because they're supposed to be able to connect with many different humans of many different types of nations while still understanding the spiritual realm and the needs and and differences of spirits as well. I I also understand why it has some controversy. I, I did feel some of it, which was the sort of knee-jerk reaction you feel anytime you get an origin story or extra context to something that previously was very mysterious or mystical in that the sort of vision or theory you had built in your head and the mystery you enjoyed about a thing is sort of stripped away a little bit and you're kind of forced into understanding in a way you may not have understood it previously. So it was definitely a little like harsh at first, like where are we? What's going on? This is how I imagined maybe the Avatar's origin story to be or the spirit realm to look like or spirits to be. But I think they executed it really nicely and in a way that was faithful to the world they had previously built. So I still really appreciated it. And I thought it brought a lot of value and theories and interesting things for people like us to discuss. Yeah, I think I think what you're saying is right in terms of the spirits. I was like looking online and seeing some reviews and like people talking about how they felt like the way that the spirits were portrayed in the beginnings episodes really took away a lot of the mystery yeah that we would see in like avatar the last airbender like ho the face stealer yeah what a great (laughs) such a good such a scary spirit creature those two Um, minutes that we get co in in the first show so scary so good so good yeah and i think what you are saying is right because this is the first time we really have like a human character spending so much time there and actually needing to help because unlike ang who would like come for a little bit and then leave we're looking at one story and he was there for like years so it makes sense that he would have a much more familiar understanding and relationship with these spirits i feel yeah because 
they essentially teach him skills to stay in the spirit wild, as they say. Yeah, to survive. Yeah, and so, of course, they're going to have a different relationship than, say, like, a monkey that yells at Aang, mm -hmm. a monkey spirit that's, like, yelling at Aang, or a bird that's screaming. Yeah, but okay, how did you feel about... Let's start with the lion turtles, because I, I think those are, like, the first real like big spirits were actually introduced to. They don't treat the lion turtles the same way that they treat the rest of the the other spirits. Why do you think that is? What's what about the choices? How do you feel? Yeah, I think the lion turtles are super cool. I like that call back back to Avatar the Last Airbender. It's still not clear to me if, if they're like spirits, animals, or deities in some way, but I don't necessarily need to know that for sure. You know, that's the value of learning some things without you know, the full picture is that you can kind of try to put together your own theory or just accept not knowing everything. But I thought that it was super cool, like the idea that they were the original creatures to grant people bending makes a lot of sense given that they're the ones who also taught Aang how to remove bending from the Fire Lord in Avatar The Last Airbender. I know a lot of people thought it was kind of retconning the idea that benders learned bending from the original benders who were their animals, but they still were thoughtful and showed Avatar One learning firebending from the dragons. So I, I really like that aspect of the lion turtles granting them the ability, but the humans actually learning bending from animals, which I thought was very cool. Yeah, I was thinking back to Avatar The Last Airbender, and they said that the, let's see, the dragon, the moon, the... Badger moles. The yeah. badger moles. And, <laughs> and, and, and the, the sky bison. bison. The sky bison. Yeah, like yeah. they were the first masters. Right, Which exactly. I think is, yeah, which I think doesn't retcon them, but anyway, that's, right. that's how I feel. <laughs> I guess you agree. Yeah, and okay, so in terms of, I guess, like the symbology, like the lion turtles are based or their face, right, is based on the, what are those called? The, the guardian lions that we see in, in China. Like they're in front of a lot of the buildings. They, I think the, the I don't want to use the, like the, I don't want to only use the American term. The colloquial terms like foo dogs, which is definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to double check because I don't want that to be the only name we use. Okay, so it's the Chinese guardian lions and they're, I, my Mandarin is pretty terrible, but shi I think is it's talking about the stone lions and these are guardians that are born out of chinese buddhism so in case people didn't know it's like any large religion slash theology that buddhism there are different types of buddhism that are practiced everywhere around the world we already talked about a buddhism that is related to tibetan buddhism already i i spoke a little bit to theravada buddhism because of where i lived in thailand and then now we're just talking about these guardian lions that are from chinese buddhism so just to be clear these are all from separate types of Buddhism, but still under the umbrella. So the, the idea of these guardians is to represent the spirit and also to protect buildings from harmful spiritual influences. And as we see in the beginnings episodes, the lion turtles are guardians of humanity. And I think that was like a really interesting way to be inspired by this folklore without like necessarily like fully taking them on because because yeah. the, the guardian dogs don't give fire and elemental <laughs> bending, but it still elicits that that guardian spirit that they embody, which I think is really cool. I Okay, and the forest spirits though are quite different. As Juan takes his fire and moves out into the forest wilds, we see a whole bunch of different spirits 
that remind me a lot of like this you know the studio ghibli bath scene in spirited away yeah they were actually inspired by that, that like yeah pond that makes sense yeah yeah their little um we're crossing that bridge oasis yeah the oasis. the oasis that's it yeah which which is really really cute and that if we're gonna talk about about Japanese, sorry, Ghibli influences, like Spirited Away, that a lot of that comes from Shinto. Shinto right. Yeah, from Shintoism, which is a native Japanese belief system. So mm-hmm. this is why I love the show. There's like, we've got, <laughs> we've got smatterings of <laughs> belief systems. Yeah, it's kind of like Easter eggs. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, like this is my jam. But thoughtfully like, done, which is important. It's not like a hodgepodge of random mm-hmm. nonsense that's just stripped away from other cultures. Mm-hmm. I, I know that people are on different sides of the whole, is it cultural appreciation and inspiration versus cultural appropriation? But at least from what I can tell is it's it's somewhat thoughtfully done and well-researched and it's it seems appreciative in nature. It's not perfect all the time. Like, for example, I think it's kind of weird how there's like just one South Asian coded man in this entire universe, <laughs> Guru Patik, which is strange given there's lot of hinduism you know inspired mm-hmm. value systems actually and the martial arts things, teacher yeah. also was was south asian who taught the creators yes. about the bending and stuff ah okay very interesting. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's nice like i i do feel like they handle it overall pretty well but i think it's kind of open to different pe- people's personal tastes maybe yeah. on that front but it is yeah. nice to see all of those influences. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a little bit about the influences when we're talking about Rava and Vatu, because I think yeah. this is where some people struggled in terms of like these Eastern Western influences. Rava and Vatu are, like we said, the embodiment of good and evil, black and white, I guess. In the beginning, when Juan comes across these two deities, they're fighting in this valley and they're kind of like destroying stuff all over the place. They're rolling around, they're fighting but they're attached to each other. And Vatu is the the supposed like evil spirit and Rava is the supposed good spirit. And Vatu is keeps trying to get away from her and Rava keeps trying to like hold him down because if they get separated, Vatu will like run wild and cause chaos in the universe. And was it 10,000 years? And then they have to like fight again and then decide. So there's like a critique about how these two characters or the presence of these two characters really simplifies a lot of the elements of this mythology into a binary, which they felt like was counterintuitive to the Eastern influences and pushed it more towards a Western kind of yes. That is such an important, yeah, that is such an important observation. I think at least my limited experience with South Asian and Eastern religions and philosophies, it's very much that there may be good and evil, but ultimately the solution or progress of those two forces is some kind of oneness or the opposite which is kind of how we see Tui and La, the the two koi, I think, spirits in, in book one of Avatar The Last Airbender, wherein there's always a little bit of good in the evil and always a little bit of evil in the good. And together they form kind of a whole. So I think you're absolutely right. And people are right to say that there is a little bit of a more Christian or Abrahamic kind of religious influence when it comes to good versus evil. And I mean, like the classic example of that too is like Star Wars with the dark side and the light side. And that's very much inspired by Christian religions as well. And yeah, so I I definitely see, I think that's a very real criticism. And I can see why people struggle with that, especially the concept of the avatar itself being an entirely good spirit rather than one that maybe represents a little bit of both or that, you know, isn't just wholly one 
sided on one of them. Do you personally have a strong feeling about whether they should or should not have been there? I really do like the idea of the Avatar being part spirit. It just makes sense in a lot of ways, like how the reincarnation works and how the Avatar can be a bridge between the two worlds for the Avatar to be part spirit. But I wonder if they could have combined the two spirits in some way, Rava and Vatu, in a way that was more evocative of the message of balance, which is always what the Avatar universe has always pushed. So and I think that would have been interesting because if Vatu is also supposed to represent chaos in some way, that's very similar to the concept of freedom as well, which is also essential to, you know, the Avatar as a being. Yeah, I think for me, I I didn't mind having the two spirits and I liked that they were fighting. Like they were just in this constant struggle. I think once they were separated and then the solution became to like put Vatu into a spirit tree or like Mm. the tree of, what is it called? Like the tree of of time. Tree of time. Then I think that made the imbalance kind of strange. But I I understood why they needed to do that because Rava was like inside the avatar. Yeah. But it seemed like that to me was the part that was a simplification of the narrative. I mean, looking at like the great epics, we do see like generally embodiments of good and evil fighting it out. And they're, they're told to us in these stories as like, like for, for example, this is like, now I'm going to Balinese Hinduism. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they'll, this evil witch spirit, the Chalon Arang is like the evil one. And then this, Mm This giant lion spirit, Barong, is the good one. And and the entire like Chalonarang epic is a, the two of them fighting, essentially. And when we tell the story, there's this very clear good and evil. But does that actually mean when we go deeper that they are actually good and evil? No, it's a lot more complicated. And I feel like while they were fighting, this kind of had that element of being able to not so clearly define them in their entirety because they're not being locked up. They're able to like have this struggle in the space of the spirit world. I like that they were like destroying things while they were fighting. They were literally tied together too. They were tied together. Symbolism made sense. Like because it made them look more like a continuous being. So severing that tie and as you said, like locking one in a tree and Mm -hmm. having one be part of a human was Mm -hmm. it just felt a little off to me. I think it would have been really cool to have a dark avatar, but have it be more prolonged, like have it be an actual mystery, kind of in the same way that Amon was in season one. I think that would have been really exciting to see, like have the core learn about the possibility of a dark avatar and have that be like an idea of a lot of mystery and strife for an entire arc of a season rather than kind of just like showing up and finding him in the tree of time. Or but- or I think like for Korra to be able to like open the spirit world and like have this like new balance she had to allow Fatu to like go into someone and create a dark avatar and he doesn't even have yeah. to be the big bad like I actually would prefer if he wasn't the big bad but he was mm-hmm. that person or sorry I shouldn't say he they were that that mm-hmm. character that would just like come in and out and like cause chaos and then dip out and like yeah you know like you can't really tell their motives but they're mm-hmm. supposed to be this like evil just based on yeah or even yeah even have Korra have to be tied to Vatu herself for a very short amount of time because I just think that's an important message where like in order to defeat or fight darkness you have to also know darkness Mm. and I don't know what exactly that would look like but I just think that would be a really cool idea for them to explore like have Korra really have to grapple like like who she is separate from the light spirit or from Rava what amount of her 
work as an avatar is truly her own personal sense of justice versus what a spirit is supposed to resemble or emblemize in some way. But yeah, yeah it's definitely that- so interesting though to like discuss this. Like that's one huge value, like whether or not you disagree with the way that they introduced these two spirits and fleshed out the nature of the avatar. It brings up so much interesting stuff to discuss, which is why we're here. Yeah, I mean Sonia, are we, should we start a new show? Is that what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Rava and Vatu podcast. Yeah, exactly. I'll be Vatu and you be Rava. <laughs> and we talk about good and bad things in the world. I don't want to be order though. Let's just have chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too many, too many perfectionists here. <laughs> Actually, although I will say, if we're going to be talking about these deeper themes of like order and chaos, I think one of the criticisms of this show, I feel for this is my criticism, is that this episode and then I guess in the larger series is is that there is an oversimplification of this good and evil. And I think that does draw to your point, because that truly is a more Western Christian influence of storytelling that we're very familiar with. I'm not going to say that it's a good or bad way as like a storytelling element, because Mm -hmm. I do think it does have its place. But that is the norm in a lot of like Western storytelling. And so, yeah, it's also contrary to Avatar in a lot of ways. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a show that has like prided itself on taking these more Eastern influences and the murkiness of what is defined as good and evil and the complexity is really what I have come to know in East, South, and Southeast Asian religions Mm -hmm. that I have experienced. Yeah, so I think they're fun. I think they're, I'm glad they were introduced. I, I, I just wish there was like, I feel like it was a missed opportunity to do a lot of really interesting storytelling thing. Yeah, yeah. Although I'll say, okay, so for example, Vatu, as he like comes to power, we see the conflict between the humans and the spirits kind of bubble up and Vatu is pushing both sides and he makes the spirits kind of transform into these like bigger evil selves. But yeah, people had a problem with how these spirits were like physically being embodied by Vatu and whether that made sense. Did you hear that criticism? It's not very fleshed Not out. as much. I think, and I, I, I do know that people compared it to Heibai in, I think it's season one of Avatar about how Heibai was really upset about the destruction of the forest and be, took on kind of this bigger evil version of itself. And I think people had trouble with the issue of spirits just being kind of naturally subject to mood changes and and you know turbulence based on what's going on in the human world versus the idea that vatu influences them i feel like both can exist at the same time they're not necessarily contrary but i can see why people maybe didn't like that because it made it seem like the motivations of spirits were not necessarily their own but subject to the whim of a larger spirit's control yeah i i agree with you i don't think they're they're necessarily mutually exclusive i think with the spirits something i struggled with in this episode was trying to understand the spirit wilds Mm -hmm. because when the spirits left to go to the spirit world, they weren't going to the spirit wilds. They were going to like a whole different plane to the spirit world, which is a little confusing because the humans were kind of kept on these lion turtles to protect them from the spirits that apparently were in their world, but still separate. I don't know. How, did you? Yeah. <laughs> were I you confused by that? 
a little bit it's a little bit confusing but the way i understand it is yes it's the human world that spirits had encroached into and kind of made parts of it or really most of it their own except for the lion turtle sanctuaries and so the spirit wilds are just forests that have become more like spiritized and perhaps those are the kind of more spiritual places that are still left on the human world for example hebai's forest or the forest that tonrak destroyed in the north there's also the swamp in the earth kingdom i think so i think that's kind of what they were saying like those are maybe like stronger spiritual strongholds where maybe the spirit wilds were centered but really the spirit wilds were just areas that spirits dominated that humans had little control over yeah and th- I guess if we're going to draw that into the environmental realm. Yeah, um, let's go there. That, <laughs> they, <laughs> I was like, is that what we're talking about today? It, okay, what you're saying makes sense if I'm in my mind imagining that the, the this is just undeveloped land. There's yeah. there's a lot to be said about kind of like the struggle that we're having as humanity to yeah. tackle climate change. And personally, from my research and like my journey is really the struggle is this fundamental. We're struggling to kind of like save this I don't want to save the earth because the earth will be here long after us. Well, I guess we're trying to save this like ecosystem balance yes. that I think a lot of efforts have been into the more material way of doing it, building trees, right. getting rid of plastics without being able to address this like core that is driving society which is a fundamental break between the spirit, which is our spiritual connection to the land because mm-hmm. the way that power has been like accumulated is specifically in in systems that are extractive and are um, versus regenerative exactly and when you are focusing more on the regenerative you can't have the same kind of overwhelming global power that has been accumulated by certain male individuals (laughs) worldwide (laughs) i don't Um, know who you're talking about (laughs) i'm talking about everyone (laughs) (laughs) so okay so anyway it's it's a disconnect with the spirit and actually my grandmother used to tell me when i was younger we were living in an apartment that was overlooking the forest because in case people didn't know like around 80 percent of hong kong actually is not developed or i mean that's changing but it was it's it it would be like forest parks Mm -hmm. um and so i was like living overlooking there and i would just look out the window because i could see like hawks i could see like just the trees and the shadows and whatever my grandmother would just always tell me she's like don't look at it too long you're you're gonna get lost and i was like what she's like your soul's gonna get lost and i'm like grandma Damn, grandma. <laughs> grandma, I was like, okay. But I think that's just really funny because as I've like grown up and like talked to people who live in rural communities, who live with, with the environment in a way that like those of us in the city don't have those kinds of relationships or we have a different relationship, there's this push and pull between being afraid of the wild because of these spirit energies and also kind of like relying on the on the other end is like really understanding the reliance for the environment and like kind of befriending these like more spiritual elements and then there's a lot of people in yeah. between that there's like good or bad but i do see the poles kind of pulling away from each other more if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah no absolutely yeah. i i agree so much i think the word that that kind of ties all of this together is balance like I think you mentioned it, but like balance between humans and spirits, but humans and nature in the, in our case, humans are the balance within ecosystems and between ecosystems, the natural systems of this world that have developed over millions of years that 
are thrown into chaos and have been disrupted by human activities, especially in the last century. And I think that Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender, but especially Legend of Korra, really deals with this in a way that's a lot more real for us to understand as younger people who are entering into this world that's going to be really really hard for all of us to thrive in and to achieve that balance. And I think there's a lot of good examples of the way that the avatar is meant to be kind of like a solution or an ideal for a method of getting to a more balanced world or for a method of individuals to achieve a more balanced sort of state of living. So for example, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, the Fire Nation threw the world out of balance in terms of destroying the air nomads and altering the shift of power in the world to one of domination and imperialism, colonization, all of the bad shuns that, you know, are true of this world as well. Uh, Kuvira in the season four of Legend of Korra, she's someone who is, you know, a fascist and tries to control spiritual energy, which in this kind of universe sort of represents nature and and spirituality in the real world. So using that as a weapon and as a material like extractive tool is what a lot of governments and corporations and really all of our systems are still rooted in and something that we have to get off of, which is what Korra grapples with in, in that season. Unalak as well was very much against the world's progression and advancement in a way that was unhealthy and unrealistic to the point that he became obsessed with the dark spirit. And then overall, just the nature of relationships in Legend of Korra I, I was kind of like reflecting on like what is the main like central theme of season two and I really think it is relationships it's about how to strike a healthy balance between opposing forces so for example there's the north and the south water tribe there's the brothers Unalak and Tonrak there's romance between Mako and Korra Bolin and Eska there's even the relationship between the siblings Tens and Kaibumi and of course the strife between humans and spirits a lot of this show is about the relationship between forces that are opposing or that are struggling to get along through rough patches in life. And I really think it has a lot to teach all of us viewers about having a healthy relationship with the outside world, with other creatures who share this world, with nature, but also with each other. And I think balance and treating each other well and understanding the world and other people and creatures in a regenerative way versus in an extractive way is, is absolutely central to the spirituality that you're talking about with the world and essential to building a more green, peaceful, environmentally friendly and kind world. And I just think that's it's amazing that a show or two shows like this really have so much to teach all of us about how to get there and how to make that world possible if we're brave enough to tackle those systems. Yeah, I like that. I I agree. <laughs> I think Korra, the series Korra, sometimes suffers from trying to tackle too big of concepts within a single season. Yeah. But on the other side, I do really like what you're talking about in terms of relationships and how that kind yeah. of counters it. I mean, part of, I mean, just looking at history and how, if we're going to talk a little bit more about like colonialism for a little bit, which I think is honestly very core to the human existence. We've always had it. It's not like colonialism just kind of popped out of nowhere, but the way that global global colonialism works like on a larger scale is is by making us feel divided and separated because it's really about divide and conquer strategies and whether or not we feel like it we are being colonized internally as well every time we feel like we have a problem there is a 
capitalist solution for this problem. It doesn't yeah, it might just not buy more things. Yeah, extract it's something not, yeah. else from somewhere exactly. else. Oh, just and, offset it somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So like you'll have this item which like costs nothing because they don't pay the workers. You have no idea who made this. You know, you can say it's a factory, but look every factory has workers there's nothing there's nothing that touches our lives that is not made by someone else and we're separated from that we don't know the people who sell it we don't know who who's making it who's distributing it whatever but then we get this item that really doesn't have a lot of value because we're disconnected from each other in the making process. Yeah. It's become so convoluted. Yeah, exactly. Um, we don't have that connection, the relationship. Yeah, yeah. And well, I think that's kind of interesting too, because if we're looking at the relationship that Juan had with the spirits versus like when his friends kind of came mm -hmm. out of the lion turtle, mm -hmm. Juan, like I, whenever we're introduced with something new, there's always going to be this fear component. And yeah. like, that's just a very natural reaction to the human existence we're all animals we all have that embedded literally embedded into our dna <laughs> to have those fear responses because it keeps us alive but when his friends kind of like came out of the lion turtles they had this power that the lion turtle gave and they just kind of like abused it and burned through the forest and i mean the way that they put it is that they didn't want to fear their oppressors anymore and so what they learned with this power was that if they just burned everything it would like keep everything at bay and i think if we talk about how much colonialism has like really come into our mind and how even within psychology we can see that we tend to be drawn to and fall back onto the relationships that we were grown up with that if we were colonized for so long and that's the mindset and we didn't know that that's what it is that therefore when we're feeling scared and like having this problem like climate change we would be defaulting to solutions that are also themselves colonialist in nature. Yeah. And because that is what we know, that is what we're familiar yeah. with. And that's like assuming we, and, and at the pace that we're going at things, of course, we're not giving ourselves breathing room to really explore. And I'm, it's like something I think about a lot, actually, which is not to say I'm perfect at it. Like truly, this is, this is the eternal struggle, right? Yeah. I think Juan himself is not perfect at it. He, after all, like caused a lot of the imbalance to come into the world and he spends his life trying to fix it. Yeah, it's really hard because you're right in that it's fundamentally a very human struggle with our own nature and the systems that we've built in the last like 100 200 years and it's not to say it's not possible at all to shift back to a lifestyle that's a little bit more regenerative and kind to both the world and the people around us and you know less colonialist and extractive but it's harder when you don't have a singular avatar creature who's like there to advocate for both sides and advocate for the world and for the balance that you need there's no singular entity like that so it's kind of on all of us to like be inspired by you know these stories and this show and find I guess the avatar in all of us but I just I definitely think like these shows have a lot to teach us about injustice but also activism there's a really interesting article it's called how avatar the last airbender created a generation of climate activists the writer is Brittany Cordera and this came out just a couple of years ago when avatar the last airbender was back on Netflix and was kind of experiencing a bit of resurgence but it talks about like these really cool nerds who are also activists 
and who I think, you know, we both kind of relate to that in a lot, but they organized a lot to stop Line 3 pipeline, which is a pipeline in the U.S., I'm assuming oil and gas pipeline. And it just talks about how a lot of these people were inspired by the Nickelodeon cartoons and how it sort of spurred them into action to use these stories to turn themselves into the heroes that they themselves enjoyed while they were growing up. There's a lot of similar organizations and nonprofits that grew up out of not just Abdullah's Airbender, but Harry Potter and Doctor Who and Pokemon, who kind of took the lessons that they learned to activism and in the fight for justice. And it reminded me of our episode on the Painted Lady, which was our first episode ever, in which we talked about the pollution that was spewing from this like Fire Nation, I think weaponry plant or something like that, energy plant. It was basically like a coal plant. And it was such a really good way of distilling like what a fossil fuel site fight looks like for a frontline organization that's really poor, really disenfranchised. And the Avatar coming in to sort of help amplify their efforts and help them sort of achieve justice is, I think, something that inspires a lot of activists, like a way of working together against an unjust and corrupt and extractive industry or corporation or government or oppressor in some way. So it's communal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's communal. It's it's in partnership. It's not extractive. Like it's it. I think initially Team Avatar and Katara sort of starts to like assert their version of what should happen. And Katara uses a lot of manipulative tactics by impersonating a spirit, and that didn't function well. It didn't really go over well. It wasn't helpful in the long run. But what worked was working with the community to do that. And that's a really critical lesson for young climate activists or really anyone like. Uh, that's the kind of work we have to do is like really just work together and an avatar is not the spur that we need it's kind of stories like avatar the last airbender and the stories of people who came before us who can help spur us into action and and do do the change that we need to make the world better and stop climate change. When I think about this in the larger sense of how when we learn in like history, right, quote unquote, people can't see me doing air quotes, history. I say that because it kind of denotes the past, but really it's alive within us as well. But anyway, when I think about history and thinking about these big epics, the Bhagavad Gita, the Ramayana, the Chalonarang, we think of those as like the really important central stories to community that yeah. helped steer the moral balance. And it's just really funny to me when we, I mean, we talk about this podcast and like the reasons for making this podcast. And it's it's because stories like this, like Avatar, The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, like these are becoming our stories of the generation. Like yeah, these are the totally. Moral, yeah, and it's, it's just interesting because it's different, but it like at its core is serving a similar purpose. Absolutely. Um, and it's, confusing because you can start to like to nitpick and you're like but this is nickelodeon this is a really big it's like, just corporate a kid's show you're overthinking like, it yeah there's like all these different contradictions <laughs> and i <laughs> and i just want to kind of pull up something that i came across the other day because in case you guys hadn't heard like patagonia made a really big kind of wave a few mm-hmm. i think it must have been a few months ago when the founder who's like a billionaire decided to just donate his wealth to I think that was environmental like a year causes. Ago. Was it a year ago? Anyway, it was yeah. a while back. He donated his billions of dollars to the climate movement. Yeah. And that was like a really big thing. And people are like, look, billionaires are okay. And then some people are like, there are no good billionaires and blah, blah, blah. So that kind of discourse happens, which I actually think is a is a good thing for us to be discussing. And there's a an interview that Lauren Aratani did, and she talked with Ryan Gellert, who was 
like the, one of the chief executives of Patagonia. And what he said was like, remember that Patagonia is like a billion dollar company. They're not without their sins and they're, they benefit a lot from this capital system, capitalist system. I think the quote that really stuck with me was him saying like, if you're serious about the climate crisis and this is your business, you've got to develop a level of comfort with contradiction. And I think that really speaks to how there is nuance in everything and that we need to kind of just pull back a little bit from being so ready to fight individual people and like make a scapegoat, scapegoat of individual people because the climate crisis is about so much more about more than that and it's about mm -hmm. the system itself yes these systems themselves it's like capitalism and that's why activism and coming together as communities yeah and you don't have to start big people you just start small within your own community like that's yes. that's what local we action need. yeah as local action as as much as it feels like it you're like avatar one who's dying and there's chaos in the world and you know like it's about the struggle and also a if we're gonna pull everything everywhere all at once into here because because it's such that's such a great movie is that uh, love it <laughs> yeah you, you really have to center yourself and be able to hold the fact that nothing matters right what actually matters is just like what you make of it and what you like what you give to it so like whether or not you're like that one person who can like reverse climate change which by the way no one can no no single person can yeah. The fact that you're doing these things towards doing your part in mitigating the effects of climate change in a way that is fulfilling and not toxic and not draining to you, but actually inspires joy is, yeah. is what is really important here. And remember, Avatar 1 had like a very positive relationship with the spirit world and with the humans. And so like where he's coming from is one is a place that is his fight is really about preserving or kind of bringing back balance to those things that he loves and i feel like for a lot of us that's going to be what our our eternal struggle and growth is that's what i've had to come to as someone who has studied environmental issues for so long yeah and like this has been a core of yeah what I love. it's really great yeah a lot of ups and downs <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna kind of jump ahead and answer the question that we're probably getting to which is why is this show revolutionary or kind of like what is revolutionary about this and i want to bring it to there's a quote that cora's mom senna i think is her name she says right. uh, i think basically the context is cora is freaking out about the relationship between the north and the south and unalak is basically invading and she's like what do i need to do as the avatar this isn't wrong like i kind of side with the south or i have to fix this and senna says something along the lines of like these problems started long before you were born and sometimes there isn't anything for you as avatar and as a singular person to do or fix sometimes like these problems need to work themselves out on their own or need to be worked on by multiple people that's not exactly what she said but that's what she was implying and i thought that was just a really good quote because <laughs> i think a lot of us you know we feel like we have to solve everything or do everything on our own or we feel like we have to save someone or something or some system or whatever it is but the reality is that there's no avatar like we all have to be kind of like versions or small versions of an avatar working together to solve these issues many of which started so long ago from very complex structures and systems that started way before we were born and we just have to like have grace and, and accept that fact that we only can just do our best with the tools that we have all together rather than being a savior or a hero because 
ultimately a lot of these structured systems were born out of people who thought that they were saviors and heroes. Like that's literally what colonization is. So yeah, just another plus one to everything you've said about collective action being the real solution to a lot of the problems that we're facing. But yeah, did you have any like last final thoughts about why this is revolutionary? Yeah, I love that. I love what you just said. I, I agree. I'll go back to the beginnings episodes. And I think what's revolutionary is that it attempts to center the world and it like gives context in a way that we have an imperfect savior that gets to try again every cycle. I love and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's regenerative. Kind of like, it literally is reincarnation. Yeah. It's like the regenerative system that we're kind of talking about. Because no avatar with all their power in the world is beyond their human capacity. And exactly. we see that with one. And yeah. I think that concept is really important to think about because he not only caused like a really big fuck up in Mm -hmm. the world it all started from him it started from him and the avatars are all kind of working towards shouldering the burden of that mistake and and each in their own way right like the further they get away from avatar one the further they feel connected to the actual original mistake and more to the effects that it has in their own world and what that looks like. And I think that's a very interesting concept. And I think it's also one that we should really be thinking about to decouple ourselves from being so reactive. Climate change is happening at a pace that is really scary. Like if you think about like the IPCC report came out not too long ago and yep. they're not going to come out with more for another six or seven years because they're like, this is what we need to do. And Here's by then framework. it may literally be too late. Yeah, how do you navigate that kind of time frame? I say, this isn't black and white. This isn't Rava and Vatu. This is actually any amount of degree that we can start lowering is going to help us and our generations in the future. Yeah. So we need to just do what we can and kind of make that problem smaller. And I I think what you said with about Cora is like really important to that. These problems started before her. So we're we're adopting these problems, but we gotta do our best to kind of make sense and find purpose. Yeah. In in these times. Oh my gosh, deep stuff. Love it. Yeah, hella deep, <laughs> hella deep. I felt like I got on a soapbox once or twice, but you know what? We're <laughs> just okay. gonna roll with it. Okay. You have the mic. <laughs> Easter eggs, hot takes, theories. Yeah, I'll make feeling? this quick. So I, I saw this really cool theory. Again, one of those that I've seen a couple of places. I can't really attribute to any one person, but I think it was Reddit or Quora. Someone was basically asking, how is it that there were still spirits in the human world after Avatar 1 closed off? the portals for example Tui and La the fish ones and even Ko the face dealer at one point steals the face of Avatar Kirk's lover's face at some point so that would have happened I'm assuming in the human world and then someone basically the theory that they came up with is that Ko this face dealer might have come or into existence after the portals were were separated and that's the reason that Rava and Batu don't have faces they're kind of faceless and that's because like the concept of like a face spirit or a face dealer spirit was born or like came into existence after them because those are like the two oldest spirits or some of the most ancient spirits. So I thought that was really interesting because it is true that almost all the spirits we see have some sort of face or like human characteristics that might be a face except Rava and Batu and that maybe because they precede Ko, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, that's such, I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's like a deep, you went deep, deep for that, didn't you? You went yeah. 
deep for that. I <laughs> mine was not as deep. <laughs> I, I, I mean, whatever. But I, for me, I just I love, like I said, I love looking at voice actors. I love、mm-hmm. guessing because it's just really fun. And I already mentioned that Aubrey Plaza from people probably know her from Parks and Rec. She voices what's her name? Eska. But actually, Cora, the Legend of Cora is filled with famous voice actors and actresses、mm-hmm. like.、Um, Serena Williams. Wasn't she in Avatar: The Last Airbender? Yeah, she was a prison guard, but she also—I think she's one of the Fire Nation healers in that. She definitely has another appearance. Yeah, yeah. She like loves the show. Yeah, love her. There's also what's it called? Oh, J.K. Simmons. Uh, who course, is Tenzin? Yeah, and also they like recycle people. So, so the voice of Rava is actually the voice of Azula, who is Grey Delisle. She is amazing. She's done、yes. like everyone in the industry. She's kind of like a Tara Strong level, except I feel like I can recognize Tara Strong at this point. I still can't recognize Grey Delisle because、mm. to me, Rava and Azula sound very different from each other. That's great.、Um, Shows range. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm sure people notice, but. Dante Bosco was in there twice as well. He played his nephew. No, Zuko's yes son nephew. Yeah, Zuko has a daughter. Yes, that's right. And she's fire the、lady. fire lord. Fire, fire, fire lady. Fire, fire lady. <laughs> well, gotta thank you all for listening. To enjoy nature. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> thank you, Avatar、right. Deidre. Yeah. <laughs>、oh <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Cartoon Revolution. Episodes drop the first week of every month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast platforms. Follow us on Instagram at cartoonrevolution.pod. That's cartoonrevolution.pod. Tell us what you're watching and share your hot takes with us. Music is from the musical Ghost. See you next time. See you soon. Mwah.